Oh God, we are yours, forever yours. Thank you, Lord, for the kindness and the grace and the mercy that you show to us, Lord. Lord, when we go through seasons of life where it's a winter or a summer, it's hard to get pruned. Lord, sometimes I don't like my branches to get broken off. I don't like to be hurting. But God, you have a purpose and a plan. And you are at work in us. Lord, guide us. Help us. Help us to trust you. And we know, Lord, that our hope can only be found in you. I pray that you would be with Blake as he speaks to us this morning. Please open our hearts. Open our minds. Let us hear and receive those words. Pierce our hearts, Lord, so that as we get pruned, Lord, that we will continue to follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated as we continue. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. If you would do me a favor and uh, grab a copy of God's Word, whether uh, digital or analog, and find your way to Matthew 5, that would be great. That We're going to be continuing on in our series this morning, going through the Sermon on the Mount. So we're at the tail end of the Beatitudes. It's been a good time going through the Beatitudes. Some of these have been more challenging than others. Uh, as we've talked about what it means to be spiritually bankrupt and to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to actively pursue peacemaking. And it's been uh, a good time, I trust, for our whole congregation. So today we're going to be wrapping up chapter 5, starting in verse 10. But before we dive into the text, I ask that you'd please pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for the chance for us to gather together in your name, for us to gather in Diving into your word, you gave it to us that we would know you, that we would be shaped by it and grown in our relationship with you. So Jesus, I pray that you would be working actively, that you would be piercing into our hearts the depths of your truth and your word, that you would not allow this frail, sinful messenger to get in the way of your holy truths, your holy word. We ask for your presence to be tangibly with us as we, God, as we look to know you more and build our relationship with you together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, if you would, if you're already there, read with me. We're going to start in verse 10. It says this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. 
For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, persecution is not exactly a happy topic, right? I mean, we don't typically sit around the dinner table and say, hey, what, what, what new persecutions have you experienced this week? You know, it's not something that we typically dive into on a casual basis. It's something that we talk about tends to be more dire. We can talk about persecution worldwide, right? According to a briefing that was done in the UK Parliament House of Commons, there's roughly estimated about 2.3 billion people on the earth who identify as Christians. That's just under a third of the world population identifying as Christians, Of that, roughly 360 million, which is roughly the same size as the population of America, roughly that many people are living, calling themselves Christians, living in areas where persecution is considered very high. In other words, uh, their physical safety is in danger because they profess Christ. Now, I understand that that's not specifically where we live here. Where we live here, as a general rule, your life, your, your safety is not necessarily under attack because of Christ. That being said, there is still persecution that takes place in our country. Now, we're seeing that grow. We're seeing that change. The ACLJ, which is the American Center for Law and Justice, uh, they are currently have a case before the Supreme Court regarding a person's ability uh, to have the religious freedom to attend church on Sunday, to not be compelled to work in a position that forces them to never be able to attend church. There was a postal worker who had never worked on Sunday because for years mail was never delivered on Sunday. But now that the post office starts delivering things for Amazon on Sundays, they're trying to compel him to work. He's like, well, no, I, I want to go to church. And, and there's been action brought against him because he wouldn't work Sundays. And now there's a court case in the Supreme Court about that. Also, same uh, firm, same, the ACLJ, is doing a, a case before the Supreme Court. In this case... It's concerning, there was a town down in Florida that had a crime spree that left several children injured. In this crime spree, or excuse me, afterwards, the people in the community wanted to have a prayer vigil. So they began to advertise it in the community, and and people in the community began to talk about it, and and people in leadership uh, even talked, uh, the city leadership would say like, yes, this is going on, what a wonderful thing for our town to be able to come together in this this act of solitude, and some uh, non, we'll just say non-Christian citizens of the area were very angry at this public prayer event, and so sued the city over this. And the ruling was that they no longer can have public prayer events. And that has also now made its way up to the Supreme Court. So there's several things that are in process in our country. Even most recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, an Arizona school board had a long-standing association with an, the Arizona Christian University where students would come in, student teachers would come in and do their student teaching through this uh, school board, through this district schools. That partnership has been revoked, and the reason it has been revoked was, and one of the board members said this, because the district should reject hiring teachers with Christian values as they are not safe. So what do we do with this kind of thing? Well, let's get angry. No. Our common 
our common response to this kind of thing is, let's just be angry about it. And let's, let's, let's create some law cases. Let's do something. Not the best response. Not the best response. So what should we do? We, we don't know what's going to happen in these court cases. They may come, uh, be turned out, turn out to be ruled favorably for Christians. It may turn out to be ruled unfavorably. We don't really know what the result of this is going to be. And we can sit and bemoan the, the, our rights and the Constitution and all that. But the simple truth is, as Christians in America, we have for way too long submitted ourselves to the Constitution and what rights we think we deserve from the Constitution of America as opposed to submitting ourselves to the word of God and what God is telling us to do. Now, am I saying that it's wrong to um, try to stand up the Constitution? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that it's wrong for these courts, uh, cases to become before the Supreme Court? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is our response when we see persecution, which by nature is unjust, when we see this, what do we do? What is our reaction to all of these things? What are we supposed to be doing? Because the reality is the, the answer is not to get angry about it. Because who are you getting angry at? Well, that, that person. Well, then your anger's in the wrong place. We don't fight a war with people as Christians. We fight a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rules and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark age, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So who is the enemy? It's not the school board or the laws or the politicians or the whatever. And who is the hero? It's not the school boards or the politicians. or I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. They're not the hero. And they're not the villain. What ought we to do? Get on our knees and pray would be my first uh, answer to that. But let's take a look. Verse 10 of chapter 5. Notice this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. So there's one thing for you is that do what is right. When the persecution comes, we are to do what is right. That word there is the word, it uh, often is translated for righteousness. That's doing what is right in the eyes of God. So what does that mean? How do we figure that out? What is right in the eyes of God? Pray. Now, this sermon, this, this passage, is not necessarily talking about how do we endure persecution. We're going to talk a bit about that. It's more so the idea that, hey, persecution is par for the course. It's the standard. It's the regular course of action in the life of a Christian. Jesus is saying, when, Pete, when you are persecuted for doing right, when you're persecuted for doing right, this is something that's just going to happen. So what do we do? Well, we endure it. How do we endure it? If you take a look at the end of that verse, what is the promise? Those who are persecuted for being righteous, those who are persecuted for following Christ, what are they given? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. So if you're following notes, that first point there, we can endure persecution because we know this is not the end. If your whole life is based on right here and right now. 
that when persecution comes, man, that's the end of the world. But when you realize that your life as a Christian is not about this earth. It's about what's coming. It's about the fact that our lives, no matter how long you live, say you live a day or 120 years, does not matter how long you have on this earth. It is a flash in the night compared to the eternity that awaits us. Those who are persecuted, those who are living their lives for Christ and receiving persecution for it. Now, I want to be clear about something. Uh, Persecution in this conversation we're talking about if you are living your life for Christ and people are coming against you for that. So let's say you are in in a position in work and you're being fired or reprimanded for some reason because you will not lie to get the sale, to get whatever. And so you're, those over you are, are angry. Okay, well, that would be persecution. But let's say that you are incessantly, incessantly, incessantly telling someone, one of your coworkers, they're going to hell because they have a tattoo. And now HR is on you. Okay, that's not persecution. That's a consequence for your stupidity. There is a difference between persecution for living righteously and dealing with the consequences of your own arrogance. Right? We're not talking about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is, look at me, I know what's right, and no, anyone who disagrees with me, you guys, you're not as good of a Christian. Well, no wonder everyone wants to punch you. That's not persecution. And to be clear, I'm not saying you should punch those people that turn the other cheek, I get it. I'm not saying we're supposed to punch them, but... Persecution is when we are living for Christ. You are doing what is right in the eyes of Christ, and then someone comes against you. That's what persecution is. And so when we're talking about this, and we're talking about enduring this, how do we endure this? It's so unjust. Yeah, it is. It is unjust. And it's hard. And at times it's quite painful. So what do we do? We keep our eyes on what's ahead. In uh, driving school, there's a common thing, and this is not just driving school, it's in general. It's the idea that when you're driving down the road and an obstacle's in front of you, what do you do? You jerk the wheel and swerve. Well, that's how you die. Don't do that. You, you navigate around it, and you gently you turn around it. But how do you avoid the thing? What you're taught is you look where you want to go. Because if there's a tree in the road and you're trying to go around it and all you're doing is looking at that tree, what you end up doing is swerving right into the tree. Where your eyes are, the body tends to follow. So you look where you want to go. Same with driving, same with life. If we're wanting to endure through these hardships, set your eyes on Christ. Set your eyes on what's above. Set your eyes on the eternity that awaits. No matter what you face on this earth, good or bad. It's just a moment. It's just a moment. Now, I know that when uh, people start their life and they're in the young stages, they think of the idea of a year like, oh, that is so long. Christmas just ended and I have to wait a whole year. And then you get older and you realize, I just took down this tree. Why am I putting it back up? Because as you get older, time is this whole relativity thing. And you begin to realize that life is like toilet paper. It goes faster the closer you get to the end of it. 
And you get to this point where you understand in life, this isn't everything. There is something else beyond this that we are looking for and that something else is eternity with Christ in heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. Why? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. What greater hope or promise can we have that when we endure through the persecution and through the trial which will come, that on the other end of it, there is the kingdom of God. There is blessing. It says in Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised to you, heaven, the rewards of heaven. There's people that are like, oh, I don't need any of God's rewards. Just to love God is enough for me. And that, that's great. Um, I'll take yours because I bet they're awesome. If God's giving something, I want it. James 1.12, James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So do not give up. This idea of endurance, of remaining, in, in the original text of that Hebrew passage there, that this idea of endure, it's the word hupomene, it's the idea that there's a constant pressure being pushed down and you could get out from under it, but to endure, you're not getting out. You're, you're staying underneath the pressure as it's pushing down. And this idea of remaining in the midst of it. Not trying to run away as easy as possible. But God, if this is a season, if this is a trial in my life, I'm going to endure this. Not because it's fun. Not because it's easy. But because I know that when I endure, whatever this is, if I stay faithful to Christ through it, and coming out the other side, there is the reward. There is the blessing that is promised me from God. Now, does that mean you're going to get all the nice blessings here on earth? Well, you might get some on earth, and praise God if you do. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the, the reward, the blessing, that eternal life of dwelling with God forever. And what an amazing thing that is. If that is where we keep our heart. If that is where we keep our focus, then you will find you're going to be able to work your way through whatever's happening, not because you're so strong and awesome, but because when your hope is on Christ, when your eyes are on Christ, it's amazing how you submit yourself to him and he carries you through it. Because we can't do it on our own. It's looking to him. There's uh, the story of the 40 martyrs uh, from the Thundering Legion. If you're familiar with Roman history, you might be aware of these guys. A long story short, there is the thundering legion of Rome. Uh, brave, strong, fierce warriors. There were 40 of them that were Christian. Different walks of life, different areas, all ended up into the same military unit. Following Christ. So that was a problem for the emperor at the time. Because emperors, now at this time there's a whole battle, like who's really the emperor? Is it Constantine? Is it like, there's a few of them that were battling for the top job. But the ones that were, the one that was over these guys was not a fan of Christianity. How dare they honor someone as God? That's not me. I'm God, clearly. Well, that was the idea at the time anyway. And so he had a decree that everyone, especially military, needed to give sacrifice and offer sacrifice to him. 
these 40 men would not do it. And so the commander then ordered them to be executed, but executed in a way where they could still change. They could still take it back. So what he ordered was for the 40 men to be stripped naked and put out into the middle of winter onto a frozen pond and to stay there until they recant, turn away from Christ, or they die, whichever one. And when the men heard this, they actually rejoiced. And you're like, what? But they rejoiced and they went out and they didn't wait for someone to take off their armor. They took it off themselves. And then they ran out into the pond and they stood out there and they praised God together and they encouraged one another. They would sing songs of praise. While they were out there, they would say things similar along the lines of, there are 40 of us standing here. Let 40 of us stand before you soon. And they were looking ahead of what was happening. They would say to each other also, as it's recorded, they would say, one bad night will purchase us a happy eternity. And they endured through this. Why? Not because they were so happy to be freezing, but because they knew what was waiting. And they stood out there for hours. And to tempt them further, the commander put warm baths along the bank of the frozen pond that they could leave and warm themselves. And how wonderful, get off the ice, just just reject Jesus and you're good. And sadly, one of them did. But 39 of them stayed out there. And in seeing the conviction, the resolve, the courage of these men, there was one of the guards who was posted to keep them on the ice that was overwhelmed by this. And gave his life to Christ and stripped himself and joined them in their fate on the ice. And so 40 went to the ice and 40 entered into eternity. Now, we hear stories like that. And they can be encouraging, they can be challenging, they can be be convicting, but the question for us when we hear them is, what would our responses be? Because some people want to say, man, I would go through anything for Christ. I would die for Christ. Well, here's a quick test. Do you live for him now? Because you would not die for Christ if you do not live for him now. Our lives in the midst of persecution, in the midst of whatever we face, submitted to God, looking ahead at what is to come, There's the expression that people are so kingdom-minded they're of no earthly good. That's not really a valid expression because if you're truly so heaven-minded, so kingdom-minded, then you're going to be of the most possible earthly good. And it doesn't matter what you face. You'll continue on pursuing God, looking ahead to the kingdom of heaven is what is promised. Verse 11, as we move forward, God blesses you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And here's this next thing. If you're a Christian, persecution will come. Why? Because you have Christ. Because Christ is in you. If you are a Christian, this is not an if, maybe someday, one day. If you have Christ, you will be persecuted period. You will. Why? Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to study abroad, and I spent some time in England. I was living in a hostel, 
for a season of time, and it was fairly close to the Chelsea Stadium, the football, soccer stadium, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there was a game going on, Chelsea versus Arsenal, and wow, crazy. I didn't want to be anywhere near there. It was chaos. So some friends and I, we decided we were going to hop on the subway and head in and do some exploring, and it was going to be a fun day. And <clears throat> while we were headed towards the train station, a guy was coming towards us all decked out in Arsenal gear. He had the red jersey, he had the red shorts, red shoes. He had his whole head covered in red paint, not just the face, the hair, everything. And we get closer, and he's smiling, and we get closer, and we see he didn't paint his face or his head. He was bleeding profusely. And the reason was because he was an Arsenal fan, very proudly so, going into Chelsea territory. And that didn't go well. Why was he attacked? Not because of him, but because of what he represented. When we receive persecution, why are we persecuted? Not because of us, but because of who we represent. It's Christ in you. In John 15, Christ is speaking. This is uh, one of the final things he's saying to his disciples. He's in the upper room, and he says in John 15, 18 through 21, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. And later in verse chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, it says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now. So that when they happen, you will remember my warning. If you follow Christ, if your life follows Christ, there will be persecution. Now, does that mean every moment of every day? No. No. But it does mean that you will be persecuted. It will come into your life. And if you've been living your life as a Christian for a decade plus, and you look back through your life and there's never been a time where someone's persecuted you for your faith, you might want to look at your life and evaluate, am I living a life that's worth persecuting? Am I living a life that's displaying Christ, that is displaying the glory of God? When people come into my presence, do they know there's something different about me because of Christ in me? Or do they come into my presence and they leave completely unchanged, completely unaffected? When my wife and I first started talking, before we was, even before we started dating, we just started talking about the idea of, of potentially we'll be in a relationship. Let's get to know each other a little better first. And when we walked away from that first time, we were sitting in a caribou, which I know they don't exist down here, but all over the place up in Minnesota. We were sitting in a caribou, and we were, as we were preparing to leave from that first intentional conversation, we ended our conversation with this. Regardless of what happens, whether we get married, whether we, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. The prayer, the goal is that both of us would know Christ better because of how we go about this. That was our hope. 
And truthfully, that should be our hope in every interaction we have with people that they would know Christ more because of how we have been a part of their life. And if that's how you're living, there will be persecution. It may not look like your life is in jeopardy. It might, I don't know. But it doesn't matter what the persecution is. What matters is, are we willing to endure for the sake of Christ and what lies ahead for us? Because it will come your way. 2 Timothy 3.12 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's pretty straightforward. Matthew 10.22 Matthew 10.22 And all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Everyone who endures to the end. Yes, everyone's going to hate you. Why? Not because you're so unlikable. But because if you've spent your life living in darkness, then you find the light offensive and painful to your eyes. Have you ever been sitting in a dark room and someone unthinkingly just flips the lights on out of nowhere? and (laughs) How rude. People who don't know Christ have been spending their entire lives living in darkness. And when you walk into their life, you're walking in as the light of Christ. Hopefully, as it's shining through your life. There's going to be something abrasive about that. There's going to be something hard for them about that. So we keep going on in the text. Verse 12 says, now here's the thing that most people are like, what? It says, be happy about it. Be very glad. I'm supposed to be happy about the persecution? I'm supposed to be happy about the hardship? I'm supposed to be happy? Yeah. Well, why? How can you possibly be happy about it? Verse 12, be happy about it. Be very glad. Why? For great reward awaits you. Anytime you experience persecution, that should be a little bit of a yes. Why? Because it means two things. One, rewards in heaven, which is awesome. And two, it means you are living a life that is worthy of being persecuted as Christ was persecuted. It means you're being counted worthy enough by God to experience that, which I realize that might seem like a weird thing. But like we were just talking about, if our lives are not reflecting Christ, we're not going to be persecuted for Christ. If our lives are reflecting Christ, the persecution comes. That's how that is. So if we're receiving persecution, we're rejoicing not over the fact that I'm in pain or that this hurts. We're rejoicing over the fact that, God, there's reward from you. There is blessing from you. And on top of that, this is, this is solidifying, God, that I'm living my life for you. I know I'm not perfect, but my life is representing you. And God, that, that is so awesome. Because that really ought to be the hope, the goal, the prayer of everyone who calls themselves by the name of Christ. And if it's not the hope of your life, I'm not saying the hope of your life is to be persecuted. The hope of your life is to be Christ in this world. And if it isn't, you need to reevaluate a few things. It says in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, 14 through 17, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't 
worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Remember it. For it is better to suffer good for doing good than it is, if that's what God wants, than it is for suffering for what is wrong. Now, we have this idea in our world that if something's bad, and that means I'm bad, I've done something bad, something bad has happened. And we just have this lens of something bad. And when persecution comes, when bad things, God allows these hard things in our life, we tend to get this idea of, wait, so does that mean God doesn't love me if he's letting this happen? By no means. By no means. All the apostles went through heavy persecution, most of whom were killed for their faith. Christ went through heavy persecution. Does that mean God the Father doesn't love the Son? Heaven forbid, by no means. The very commonly quoted passage, Romans 8. Romans 8, 6. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? No. As the scriptures say, Neither heights nor depth nor anything, neither persecutions or trials, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, one thing I want us to notice about where that passage is at the end of chapter 8 is it's talking in context about, as the scriptures say, he's referring to an Old Testament prophecy, as scriptures say, we are being slaughtered all day because Christians were dying. It's like, so does that mean that God doesn't love us? He's like, oh, no, it doesn't mean that. Because nothing can separate us from God's love. Now I want us to keep that in mind. Because later, that's the context then of Romans 10. In Romans 10, the often quoted passage, 10, 9 and 10. If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's a very commonly quoted verse to give people assurance of their salvation. Because, well, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. Well, do you say Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Then you're good. Don't do that. Don't do that for two reasons. One, you don't know if someone's saved. God knows you don't. Second reason, that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is talking about in context, Christians are dying. God's love is still there. So in context, what it's saying is it's referring to the con- in context to the persecution that the Roman church is undergoing. Because at this time, to profess Christ is a death sentence in some areas of Rome, in some areas of the world. And so he's saying, do you profess Christ regardless of what happens? Do you believe that God raised Christ from the dead, meaning that regardless of what happens to you, God can raise you from the dead? Well, yeah, I believe God will raise me from the dead. And because I believe that even in death, God will raise me from the dead, I will know life in heaven for eternity. Because that is my belief, I will boldly profess Christ is Lord. Because I don't care what happens to me. Because I will not deny my Lord. I will not deny my Savior. That's what the verse is talking about. It's not saying if you say something with your, with your mouth and you maybe kind of sort of hope and believe, which is what it's been so trivialized to me. It is saying, are you willing to die for Christ? Because you know that Christ has you and your faith is in him. That's what it's talking about. Enduring the persecution, regardless of where it leads. And we can endure it because there is great blessing. Loved ones, there is great 
great blessing in enduring these things. Is it always seen this side of eternity? No. But again, where is your hope? And where is your faith? Is it in this side of eternity? I hope not. Or is it in what comes down the road? Is it what comes after we pass from death into everlasting life? That is where our blessing is. So when we rejoice in the persecution, we don't rejoice because we're suffering or because it hurts. We rejoice because we know that when we suffer for Christ, there is blessing from God. It doesn't last for a minute, right? You do something good at work, you get a bonus paycheck. Woo, fantastic. You spend it on tacos or whatever, and it's gone. When you get a reward in heaven, it's eternal. And it doesn't end, and it doesn't wear out. It's forever. And that is where we store our treasure. That is where we look. When we are in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the problems and the trials, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing good because theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That is what we get. That's what we inherit. And what an amazing, amazing thing. Thessalonians, um, see 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 7. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because of your faith. Your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about the endurance and faithfulness in all persecutions and hardships that you're suffering. God will, excuse me, and God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom. What is he doing through this? The persecution, he's using it to show his justice and to make us worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering. In his, in God's justice, he will pay back those who persecute you and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. What an amazing, amazing thing. You know, the apostles were not, as we talked about earlier, the apostles were not unfamiliar with persecution Over the course of their lives, some of them were boiled in oil. Some of them were crucified. Some of them were stabbed. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were all sorts of things, whipped and beaten and left for dead. And they're not unused to persecution. But when the persecution would happen, they would rejoice. Acts 5.41, the apostles left to the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Do we live a life that is worthy of being persecuted? A life that is worthy of this suffering for Christ? It's not shameful to be persecuted. It is a badge of honor for a Christian to go through persecution. Because one, it shows that your life reflects Christ. And two, it's basically God saying your life is worthy of my name. Again, we're not saying that you should go out and seek persecution. That's just being foolish. But when you live your life in a way that glorifies God, there will be persecution. It's not a curse. It's not a curse. It's a badge of honor. So we'll go to this last thing. 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Why? For great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in this same way. So then this last thing. Those who are persecuted are in great company. You're not alone. You're not the first generation to endure persecution. Shocking. All throughout human history, all throughout church history rather, we've seen the saints of God persecuted time and time and time and time again. Are there seasons of reprieve? Yes. Are there seasons of heavy persecution? Yes. Are there regions where it's worse than others? Yes. But throughout the course of Christianity, there's been persecution even throughout the Old Testament. The prophets were persecuted regularly. Name one of the prophets that didn't endure persecution from the people. So why do we think that we're above it? Why would we think that we could be spared from it? Why would we think that we're something special, that we don't have to deal with it? We're not. Those who have gone before us have been persecuted. We will be persecuted. First Thessalonians 2.15. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. These now persecute us too. Psalm 119.84, how long must I wait? When will you punish those who persecute me? I get that heart. God, do you see what's happening? Yes, of course he does. Well, God, how long will I wait until you act? God doesn't act on our timing. In the book of Revelation, we see the scrolls opened as God's judgments are poured out in the end. And one of the scrolls that's opened is the martyrs. And we see the martyrs, that who, those who have died in the name of Christ, and they're under the throne of God. And they cry out, God, how long? How long until you act, until you pour out the justice? And God's just, just a little longer. It's like, I'm waiting your number to be complete. Like I was like, I, I will, I promise. The, the judgment is coming, the justice is coming, but until it comes, trust that I've got it. Are we gonna see increased persecution in America? Maybe, I don't know. I'm not gonna try to predict that or tell you yes or no. It doesn't matter what I think about that anyway. What I do know is that regardless of whether or not there's going to be increased persecution in this country, there will be persecution in the life of a Christian. That's all we need to know. And because of that, what will we do? Will we run from it? Will we shake our fists at the sky in anger? Will we blame everyone? There's a lot of responses that we could have. But the only one we should have is to get on our knees, submitting to Christ and looking ahead to what he has in store for us. God, give me the strength. Give me the hope to endure. Show me how you want me to walk this road because I want to live a life that is right in your eyes. And I know that comes with persecution. I know that comes with hardship. I know that comes with pain. But I also know that it is worth the hardship. It is worth the pain because I know what waits. I know what is ahead. And because I know that, God, I can go through any, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I know that you have got me for eternity.
God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Be glad for what awaits us Know that God sees you and know that when you're persecuted, you're joining the ranks of the greats of the faith who've gone before us. Moses and Aaron and Paul and Peter and uh, Esther and Rahab and all these great names we talk about all the time and you join their ranks as being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And hold on to your hope. For when we have endured, there is great reward. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have given, for all that you have done. God, you went through the, the persecution yourself when you walked this earth. You know what it is to struggle, to suffer, to be persecuted. So God, give us the strength we need to endure. Keep our eyes set upon you, set upon the truth that is before us, that your heaven, your paradise, your reward awaits those who faithfully serve you, who endure the persecution that will come. We look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to you, the only one who can carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond together.